Are either one of these any good? Wow, this is a good movie. It's pretty good. Yeah, well, the director from yesterday doesn't think so. It stinks. You sorry? You waste all our film. <laughs> it's so bad. We are chock full of goodness this week in the screening room. Lots of <laughs> movies to uh, to talk about, and most of them pretty darn good. Welcome. Uh, she is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf, And we are from MadWolf.com. Thanks for joining us in the screening room. We'll start off with the latest in the DC Universe. We all have a superhero inside us. Just takes a little bit of magic to bring it out. In Billy Batson's case, that magic comes from just one word. Shazam! That's crazy, right? What are your superpowers? Superpowers, dude? I don't even know how to pee in this thing. It's Captain Sparkle Fingers. No, it's not. It's not my. That's not my name. Chosen one. Oh, you're like a bad guy, right? You literally did the opposite of what a superhero is supposed to do. I will be honest. The first time I saw a trailer for this movie, I thought, meh. I guess I'm with you, but I've said before I was just confused. I've been confused for a while. Because when I was a kid, on Saturday mornings, I would watch the Shazam TV show. And of course, then, when he said Shazam, he turned into Captain Marvel. But, you know, we're not going to go into all the craziness that that let that happen. Um, But they're two different things, let's put it that way. He's no longer Captain Marvel. And actually, they have fun in this movie trying to come up with a name for the superhero that that Billy turns into when he says Shazam. But... You know what? It's it's so much fun. I had a blast with this movie. I wasn't. I guess I wasn't as meh about the trailer as you were, but I wasn't overly excited. No, I think we both thought it looked like it was going to be a TV show. Yeah, well, but it's so much fun. So much fun. It is probably the most fun origin story I can remember in years mm-hmm. because you know we've reviewed plenty of superhero movies and we've talked before about sometimes you know the origin stories are necessary, but they can get bogged down in so much exposition. Now, there are a couple of good, so uh, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, and then the last Spider-Man, the one with Tom Holland, those both do a nice job yeah. with the origin story. But I think They can this, be a problem, It though. can, absolutely. Yeah, so, but uh, this one, it just makes it so much fun. And it's it's the tone, it's the action, it's the cast, it's the writing, uh, it is everything. And it's uh, Billy Batson is a, a young teenage boy in Philadelphia. He's bounced around different foster homes. So right away, you've got the trope of the, you know, the uh, parent parental missing parents. Mm-hmm. We see that a lot, especially yeah. mommy issues mm-hmm. with uh, the DC. I mean, Batman and Superman right there. Oh, Martha. Oh, Martha. <laughs> and it, it exists. <laughs> this exists very much in the DC universe because all the kids are talking about. They, they love Superman and they're very well aware of those superheroes. So he gets placed with this foster home full of a lot of kids. And one of his foster brothers just happens to be a uh, superhero nerd. Mm-hmm. And it's the, it's the same kid. His name's uh, Jack Dylan Glazer, who was in it. it. Really good young actor. Mm-hmm. Really like his timing. But anyway, so uh, just as Billy is getting to know his new family, he is chosen. He becomes the chosen one to take over from the aging wizard Shazam, who's played by Jumon Hunsu. The wizard needs new blood, new youthful energy to keep these seven deadly sin monsters at bay. Uh, and that's what's going on here, okay? So so he becomes the new hero that takes on this uh, heroic form in the super suit when he says the word Shazam. I mean, there's a lot more to it than that, but let's just, right, let's we just get to the fun down, part. Exactly. Get to the fun part. And there's a super villain played by Mark Strong. Never a bad choice. I know. I mean, he's great in everything, but he's such a good villain. Such a good villain. And he's into this. I mean, he's so slimy and so evil. It's just great. They're going to they're going to go at it, you know, but before they do, Billy has to get comfortable with his new role mm-hmm. and his new powers mm-hmm. and 
It's really funny because when he says the word, even though then he becomes a man and a superhero, he's still a boy mm-hmm. inside. So it is big. It's basically big. The in, film, yes, big, the Tom, in, the Tom Hanks movie. Right, in superhero form. And the movie knows that, and the movie knows you're thinking that, and it acknowledges it with a nice homage, and then, it, okay, that's out of the right, way. Right, right, We all know where we stand, <laughs> you know. But... Um, the tone is right. It's so much fun and funny. Sometimes laugh out loud funny. The mm-hmm. script is by Henry Gaden. Uh, it's only a second feature script. He did Earth to Echo mm-hmm. a few years ago, but he just really nails it. Uh, and it's full of action. It's full of uh, humor, as I said. And also, it gets some some good feels in yeah. there, too, about family and yeah. friendship and responsibility. Some of it a little corny here and there. But the cast, just top to bottom, is so winning mm-hmm. that it, it just sells it all over the place. The, the uh, chemistry between Freddie, who's that Jack Dylan Glazer, and then Zachary Levi, who plays uh, Shazam, yeah. you know, the, the, uh, the hero. Yeah. He's from the TV show Chuck, I guess, which uh, we never watched. I was aware of it. Anyway, they have some great chemistry and just keep the whole, the whole kind of irreverent, vibe going. It doesn't go so far as like a Deadpool, you know. It's not that irreverent, and of course it's not profane. No. But it's fun, and it's a wink-wink at the superhero tropes, while still bringing them into the fold, because there's lots of cool, very, very cool visuals of Mm -hmm. flying and daring do and superhero this and that. And the director here is David F. Sandberg, who has done, he did Lights Out, he did Annabelle Creation. Not great movies, but Decent movies, and uh, he really takes a step up here. He handles everything. The pace is really nice and lively, and uh, and the visuals are fantastic. So uh, he's he's moving on up to the big leagues and did a fine job. So it really delivers on just about every aspect you can think of for a superhero movie. I think it really does. It's a tad long. I mean, if you go sit through the very end, and you should because there are two stingers, yep. one serious uh, midpoint, mid mid through the credits that really moves the story along and gives you a little bit of a clue as to what might be coming next, and then a funny one at the very end, which comes to see, seems to be the norm here for not only uh, Marvel, but now DC. Mainly Marvel. They stole that from Marvel. <laughs> but that's okay. Yeah, exactly, because this is... They, they do take a lot of a well-earned backseat to Marvel a lot in these superhero universes, but this one... Got to tell you, they're right back in the game. Nice, this nice. is the best. I think it's the best. We, we both liked Wonder Woman, but not. it wasn't great. It was good. It was good. Uh, I think we can all agree that that third act just... Really you does. Know, yeah, yeah, where you know the, the you finally unveil the real villain, and the yeah. two of them fight. You're like, are they still fighting? Oh my yeah. god, they've been fighting for like 25 minutes. Agreed. Until Plus then, the mustache, though, that mustache. I was all in on the first two acts eh. of Wonder Woman. I, I really was, and, and looking forward to 1984 Wonder Woman. That should be fun. But anyway. I think this is the best DC universe since the uh, Batman trilogy of Christopher Nolan. Right. I think it really is. So I think it's going to do very well. The only thing I will say, it is PG-13. So just for the little kids, I will say, I mentioned these seven deadly sin they're monsters. They're a little scary for they're the small little, ones. They're a yeah. little scary. And there's one time early on when they come right at the screen... Uh, Especially may... if you are going to the 3D version of this. Exactly. There's a 3D. There's a 3D IMAX. So just watch that. You know, obviously, you know your kids and see if they're old enough for that. But there are some scary monsters. But that just makes it all fun. I thought it was just an absolute blast. So uh, I think it's going to do quite well. And a re- recommendation for Shazam. Next film gets a lot darker in the mood. Dr. Lewis Creed and his wife relocate from Boston to Maine with their two young children. They soon discover a mysterious burial ground hidden deep in the woods. It's the rebooted Pet Cemetery. It was a myth. 
kids used to dare each other to go into the woods at night. They knew the power of that place. They feared it. Those woods belong to something else. It may be just some crazy folk tale. But there is something up in those woods. There's something that brings things back. Sometimes dead is better. Well, the first thing that we have found out here, especially re-emphasized in the last few weeks as people started talking about this movie, we don't have nearly as much love for the original as a lot of people do. You especially. Me especially. Yeah. I didn't like it at all. Now, I, I'm going to admit, it's a bad movie, but I'll watch it. I'll watch it all damn day, but it's a bad movie. There is, um, though. There is a lot of love out there for it, um, so okay. But uh, so, that, so we're not coming at this reboot with that in mind, like, oh, you're going to, or you're going to uh, try to top a movie that I love. Not so at all. But here's the thing. Even if you love the first one, I think there are a couple of flaws you're going to have to address or accept. And, and the, the main one, I think we can all agree, the two leads in the 1989 Pet Cemetery, Dr. and Mrs. Creed, terrible. They're terrible. They're just flat. It, you know, it's like a couple of pieces of Wonder Toast just walking around there <laughs> doing nothing. And so uh, the first thing, there's no question that the performances of the two leads, in particular Jason Clark, who plays the doctor, so much better, mm-hmm. just epically better. Jason Clark is really talented, and he does a great job of anchoring... You know, this movie, and I think that the first film didn't have that anchor. It didn't have a performance that everything else can rotate around. And he does a great job, a great job in this movie, being that good guy, good dad, grieving father Mm -hmm. that the the book doesn't have. It's different in that way from the book, but the movie needed that center of gravity, and, and he provides that. And that helps a great deal. Now, there are some flaws you're going to have to really exercise your ability to suspend disbelief mm-hmm. a couple of different times. But if you can do that, and come on, it's a movie where the dead come back to life. So you you, you should be able to suspend disbelief <laughs> in the first place. I think that you're going to find it enjoyable. I think we all will miss Fred Gwynn. You know, sometimes dead is better. But John Lithgow does a great job of of creating more of a realistic character in the the old man neighbor that kind of introduces them. He makes the neighbor a lot more cranky, a lot more grumpy. Uh, Fred Gwynn's neighbor was a lot more caring old man. Right. This is a grumpy old man. He is a grumpy old man, and he's a little scary, but it's but young Ellie Creed warms his heart. Mm-hmm. And that's why he just doesn't want her to be sad when she realizes that her cat is dead. Right. So he makes bad decisions. But the other thing <laughs> that I think they do well in this movie, which they didn't do so well in the last movie, is sort of explain that the land itself, that sour ground, it has its own way of drawing you back to it. Yeah. You know, in the first movie, you're like, well, why did you even show him <laughs> this pet cemetery? Exactly. Uh, but in this one, I think it does a better job of layering in more of a history of of the town and of the ground itself, working that into the overall uh film to give it an eerie quality, but also to kind of explain behavior a little better. And plus, if you were getting excited for this movie, you may have heard the furor surrounding the trailer. When the first trailer dropped, it gave away a change that they made in the movie. And for my money, I think for our money, it 
leads to improvements in the movie. Um, I think that change, they make they, they also change the ending, which we're not going to give away at all. But uh, this change that was apparent in the first trailer, I think is a worthwhile change. No, I agree with you. I, I definitely do, because for some people, <laughs> it led, it, it's hard to talk about it without giving anything away. But I know. <laughs> for us, we feel like this particular change made Act 2, all of the scares, all of the kills, more believable mm-hmm. and creepier. Yep. This makes it easier to not sort of giggle at the villain <laughs> of the film. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and if you're worried that that kind of gut punch isn't there, well, they make up for that in the end. <laughs> they so do. it's, you know, and, and I love the ending. Yeah. And uh, I also really like the, the way it's filmed. There are a couple of like, you know, tracking shots where you see above the trees and you kind of get a chance to get a, a glimpse at the whole piece of property and they use it to good effect. Sometimes people just, films just seem to do that. Like, here's a nifty way. Uh, they do it on purpose here and it's nice to see things done intentionally. And, and I like the, going back to the change of the ending, I like the confidence in that vision of yeah. these new filmmakers. Agreed. Like, look, yeah, we're going to do this. This is what we see for this movie. I like that. It's ballsy. And I think in this case, no, those sorts of decisions don't always pay off, Mm -hmm. even though I'm going to give you credit for being ambitious. I think it does pay off. It's funny. The the directors made one other film that not a lot of people saw, but I think you should. It's called Starry Eyes. I enjoyed it very much, actually. I thought it was really well done. And I was excited to see what they could do with this film. There are a couple places where I think, you know, uh, it could be a little stronger, but... If, if you are, the big thing that they still understand, I think, is that for my money, the thing that really worked in the first one, Zelda, yeah, right? Zelda, Zelda scared sister, us all. Yeah, yeah. And they know that too. So so rest assured, she's still in there. And they, they work her in in a little bit of a different way. I'm not sure that the actual image is quite as nightmarish as uh, Mary Lambert's in the original, but mm-hmm. it's still very effective. And there's just, I think, a lot about this movie to to really enjoy. Yeah, exactly. So we think it's a step up from the original Pet Cemetery. And if you're like me and you miss the Ramones in this movie, keep an eye out for the name on the phone when the truck driver pick answers his phone. Just keep an eye out. It's really quick, but it's worth it. Good call. Also out in wide release this week, the story of civil rights activist Ann Atwater facing off against C.P. Ellis, exalted cyclops of the Ku Klux Klan in 1971 Durham, North Carolina, over the issue of school integration. It's called The Best of Enemies. Last night, an electrical fire destroyed East End Elementary School. Mama, where are we going to go to school now? I'm going to find you somewhere real nice to go. Not going to have black kids going to temp school. Oh, come on. They're going to come somewhere. We're going to be school segregation once and for all. Folks in this town want blacks to stay in their own schools. I'm here to protect my family. So all the better if you don't get in my way. Well, I'm going to get in your way. We're here trying to understand each other for once and stop fighting. This here does the talking for me. I have a Bible. Well, then you ought to know. Know what? Same God made you, made me. This movie introduced several new terms to my vocabulary. (laughs) I had no idea there was anything called the Grand Cyclops. Right. And I did not ever hear the word charrette. I had not either. Charette is an arbitration exercise of settling a conflict, and that's what's at the heart of this. But it's um, it's another story, true, based on true events, story of racial healing. Might remind you a lot of Green Book that, of course, just won the Oscar a few a few months ago. It's similar in story, 
And the one thing about this, certainly not a, a perfect movie in any way, but I do think it's better, when you compare it to Green Book, it's better in getting the two main characters on closer to an equal footing. They're not on equal footing, but they're closer. And when you here. say that, what you mean is that the story in Green Book is told through the eyes, the point of view, of the, the white male lead. Mm -hmm. And in this case, it's very it's very close to being split so that the two main characters played by Taraji P. Henson and Sam Rockwell, always both great. Yeah, um, uh, they have uh, very close to the same amount of of time on screen. They have a very close. Uh, they, they both have a character arc. They both grow. It's not as if one character exists. So the other character right. can grow. Right. And that's, I think, a downfall of a lot of films like this. Yeah. Um... It's, it's it's certainly a case where they could have put the story more through her eyes. They certainly could have, and I could definitely get behind that. Uh, the fact that it's, it's writer-director Robin Bissell, who I think it's his first feature, yeah, I do believe. A, he's produced a lot of films, but yeah. this is his first as yeah. a writer or director. It's, it's, it's a little clunky in spots, but I do, I do understand, I guess, more in this one, putting it through... Uh, the white character's eyes, because he has the biggest arc, he because does. he was a grand cyclops of the clan, and he did come to have a change of heart, and at, at the end, in the real-life story, these two became lifelong friends. And in fact, she delivered the eulogy yeah. at his funeral. So, so obviously, it's an amazing uh, window into not only extreme racism uh, back in, in 1971 in the South, but also how people can get through to each other, mm -hmm. you know, learning more about each mm -hmm. other. So that And anytime you tell like those historical true stories are so fascinating when I've never heard of, you know, yeah. you're just like I can't believe this happened. This is amazing. Yeah, it is amazing. And of course they they don't it's not a documentary. They're going to make some changes mm -hmm. for narrative purposes for uh, for the movies and and that's to be understood. You mentioned one thing though that I think you bring up a good point. The 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 arc that the CP Ellis character has to get him to that healing, we should see more. We You're should right. see more of why. We're shown too much of him interacting with his hateful racist brethren than the other side that might have led to his healing. And I think that's a good point. Yeah, I feel like the film relies far too heavily on Sam Rockwell's sheer talent to convince you, while as you're just looking at him, that he's going through a change of heart little by little, than actually giving you some, um, uh, you know, experience along with him to explain why it, you don't see him interacting with yeah. a lot of the African-Americans who've gathered there, aside from Ann Atwater. And he never really gets to the point where there he's friendly with her, you know, so it's it's and on the one hand, you're I think there's an element you're supposed to be surprised by the ending to a certain degree. So that might be part of it. But at the, on the other hand, I felt like I required a little more of what it was that helped him to see how yeah. wrong he had been. Yeah, definitely. And I think some of that shows the director, the filmmaker, shows maybe a little inexperience. There are some some moments, some scenes of, you know, pausing for dramatic yes. effect. Yes, You know, that seem very uh, amateurish. But there are some very effective there are. segments as well. I mean, he's clearly a fan of the way Martin Scorsese uses pop, pop, <laughs> pop songs. Who isn't? But there is one really striking mm -hmm. segment mm -hmm. set to um, Roy Orbison's Blue Bayou early in the film that really is, is uh, effective. And then 
about the the racial interaction. There are some he gets he gets close. I mean, there's a really nice moment where um, some African American parents are pointing out the differences they have, the different challenges in that community that they have than the white parents have, and that one hits hits it pretty does. well. It does. But then he can't really follow it up. Some of the arguments they give on back and forth uh, about the school issue, man, they they're just so shockingly current yeah. today. And I think the movie could do a better job of connecting that past to this present. Right. Um, As you were saying, it's it's easy to compare this film to Green Book. It's also, for me, easy to compare it, and unfortunately, to Black Klansman. Oh, well, yeah. And, and, and among the many things that Spike Lee did brilliantly in Black Klansman was his ability to give you a true story of historical context and without trying very hard, helping you to see how incredibly relevant it is today. This movie falls pretty short of everything, honestly. Every high watermark that that Spike Lee hits with Black Klansman, but in particular there, I really wanted it to feel less like a history lesson and more like a look at how little has actually changed. That's exactly right. So it's it's similar again, similar to going back to Green Book, but it's similar again because to Green Book in the way that we... There are things to like mm-hmm. about this movie mm-hmm. and then some real some real pitfalls. But at the heart of it, two great performances. Great performances. Yeah. And the, you know, and the best part that Taraji P. Henson has had since Hidden Figures. It really is. It's just, you know, it's so great. She's done a lot of of, of comedies and just it's mm-hmm. just great to see her tear into yes. a part like this because she's wonderful. Yeah. And what a great character that is. Yeah, she is. And they they form with Sam Rockwell, they form a real nice, you know, combative chemistry yep. throughout the movie. So uh, they are definitely the main reasons to, to see this movie. Got a few more to talk about in limited release this week. It's an act of civil disobedience turning into a standoff with police when homeless people in Cincinnati take over the public library to seek shelter from the bitter cold. It's called The Public. The homeless man was found dead outside the public library. It gets this cold? I don't know why they don't just let us stay here. Mr. Griffith, I gotta talk to you. There's not enough shelter for us people on the street. There are a lot of cop cars. Is everything all right? Patrons are staging an action. The library has not been sanctioned an official emergency shelter. I am not prepared to be in a standoff with a cop. You're the one who's always like, vive la resistance. This is bigger than riding the metro and getting organic food. We're a public library, not a shelter for the homeless. Why do all this? For what? We still matter. I tell you what, Emilio Estevez, he wears his heart on his sleeve. He does. Not a not a master of nuance. No. But uh, you know what? This is another case. He's been writing and directing movies since 1986. Wow. He did Wisdom yeah. back in the day, right after, I think, one of the first projects after St. Elmo's Fire. Um, and this is his sixth, I believe, as writer-director. It's clear he has his heart in the right place. He's got his convictions. Mm -hmm. He wants to get these messages out there. And God bless him. But he's just so heavy-handed in doing it. Well, it's so hard when the point of your the point of your project is to make a point. Uh, It's very hard for uh, the artistry to come through. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and this one, you know, it's got a good. It's got good structure. It's got a good base. It's got a good ensemble cast. He takes the oh, lead. Oh, he does. Emilio Estevez, but he's also got Alec Baldwin. He's got Christian Slater. He's got the ever ageless Jenna Malone. Mm-hmm. Jenna Malone. You know, you see all these viral pictures and memes about how Keanu Reeves never ages. I'm going to see that and raise you, Jenna, Jenna Malone. Malone. I, I mean, know. come Every, on. I see her in this movie, and I think she looks no different than she did in Donnie Darko. Yeah. No different. It's amazing. And uh, and and Taylor. Uh, 
Schilling and Jeffrey Wright. I mean, it's a Jeffrey great Wright, co- Gabrielle Union. Gabrielle Union, exactly. So you've got this takeout, this takeover of the library by homeless people who need shelter from the cold, and that's that's the main conflict here. But there's a bunch of crisscrossing sub plots that are going on, and again, it's all very well-meaning, but so heavy-handed in its message, and leads to a, I should say, stunt, I guess, at the very end that Emilio Estevez uses to resolve the whole thing that is wouldn't sort have worked. of... It wouldn't have worked. It's sort of factually inaccurate, and it, it not only it doesn't leave you to come to your own conclusions, it gets kind of a, a bystander play-by-play as they're doing this, and then you think, well, wait a minute, no, I don't, I don't think what you just said is true. <laughs> um, so it's just, it can't feel real in any sense of the word. Um, no, no matter the, the good intentions, uh, everything he tries to get across just comes with a an anvil, the weight mm-hmm, of an anvil, mm-hmm. which you know, to me just lessens the effect. It sure. really does. Um, so disappointed with the public. Who's in the mood for a nice horror western? I how, am. How about this one? A plains woman faces the harshness and isolation of the untamed land in the western frontier in the late 1800s, the wind. This land is funny, you know. The wind never stops. Plays tricks on your mind. I've seen something. I hear it too, whispering. You remember how many graves you passed on the way here. This place is wrong. No one's here but us. No. There is nothing out there! Emma Tammy directs this one, and she does a great job of making the most of not a lot. There's a total of five actors on screen in this entire film, and really, two sets. What she does is capitalize on what she has because the point really is of isolation, right? So you don't need a lot. Caitlin Gerard, who's on screen almost the entire film, really, really owns this. What an amazing performance. Very restrained and proper, and little by little, Mm -hmm. she lets the cracks show. And the film basically takes place inside her headspace, right? Because she may or may not be crazy by the end. And and I think the film does a great job of going backwards, going forwards. Is it real? Is it hallucination? When exactly did this happen mm-hmm. to help to put you in her headspace? So all to, all, I mean, it is not a brilliant movie, but it is entertaining and creepy from beginning to end with stunning performances. And, and it looks great. Yeah, I agree. It's certainly not a bloodbath. Um, and there's not a whole bunch of jump scares or anything like that, but creepy and very atmospheric very. and, yeah, and a good horror western. Exactly. So, uh, yippee-ki-yay. Let's move to a period romance. Post-World War II, a British colonel and his wife are assigned to live in Hamburg during the post-war reconstruction, but tensions arise with the German who previously owned the house, the Aftermath. This house is being requisitioned by the British government. Hello, Morgan. Please come inside. This is my wife. My daughter and I will stay out of your way until we move to the camp. What if we let them stay on? You mean, live with them? If you're going to spy on a girl, the least you could do is pay her a compliment. Yes, of course. I never thought that I could be happy like this. Come with me. This is what you wanted. 
new beginnings. Well, if you saw this movie and didn't know that it came from a novel, you would guess it. Yes. It really feels like one. And it's one, it's a story that we've seen so many times before. And the big downfall, I think, of this movie, despite some solid performances, is you're more interested in the background. Right that surrounds this romance than the romance itself. Exactly. And you'd know from the poster alone, right? Jason Clark is married to Kira Knightley, and Alexander Skarsgård is the German who used to own the house who they kindly allowed to stay. That seems wise. <laughs> what do you suppose is going to happen? <laughs> He's a bit uh, slow on the uptake. Yes. There, uh, and Jason. you know, it's funny, Jason Clark, who also stars in another film this weekend, <laughs> exactly. he is so often in these triangles where yeah. his waifish beautiful wife starts boning the guy sleeping at the couch. It's crazy how often he's in this movie. Yeah, so this is one where he read the script and he didn't have to ask his agent, what part am I playing? Right. Uh, he, he knew it and he does it well and yeah, like we said, all the performances are good, but it's just so familiar. It is. And it doesn't really add anything to that part of the movie. No. But, but what's, again, what's going on in the background? Because the aftermath, obviously, it's going to... Um, it's going to refer to a couple different things. And it refers to the aftermath of the war. And then it also refers to the aftermath of something else, I'm not going to spoil, that happened to these characters. And so I'm more interested in, in that. Yeah, because one of the things that director James Kent does really well, I think, is develop your interest in really the backdrop. What amounts to the backdrop? Ruined Hamburg. Mm -hmm. uh, you... And, and not just the city itself, although the city is, is very fascinating, but really everything that happens outside that house. Mm -hmm. The characters, the way that he weaves in and out, little facts that you probably didn't know about, you know, Hamburg post-World post War II. It's really the tertiary characters that revolve around Jason Clark's character in his military pursuits that are the most interesting. And so every time you go back inside the house with these gorgeous people who are trying not to succumb to their desires, you're you're like, take me back outside. I exactly. want to go back outside. And also, there's a small, smaller subplot about um, the German architect's daughter and how she reacts to the goings-on. It's also very interesting that ends up just getting left. Yeah, because she is easily the most interesting character in this movie. And it's funny because she has no lines for about two-thirds of the film. Yeah. But she does have a moment where she hisses. hisses. And you're like, who is she? I yeah. want to know her. Yeah, so there's there's some interest here. There is There are some good performances. But all in all, it just left you feeling a little, what to use that word again? Meh. Yeah. And lastly, a story of a woman filling her days helping others and desperately attempting to bond with her drug-addicted son. It's called Diane. Hi, Mom. How do you feel? This time's different. I can see that. Diane, you need some peace. You take the time, get yourself together, and come up when you're good and ready. Done some damage in my life. You're not alone, honey. This is a real, almost one-woman show for Mary Kay Place, who oh, so has great. been around forever. I think she first came to real stardom and Mary Hartman, Mary Hartman, way back in the day. But she's been around, a lot of character roles. This is her show, and she's fantastic. She really is. Christy Robb did the review for us online, and she agrees with us that this is just such a great performance and such a wonderful character study that you don't get right away what they're what they're sort of getting at mm -hmm. and that really is 
how secret shame continues to affect you really your whole life. And mm-hmm. boy, Mary Kay Place carries that with her and haunts you, really, in a character who is constantly putting her own wishes behind everybody else's and doing for others. And at, toward the end, you start to see why, why she's doing that. It's a brilliant performance and a really nice film. Yeah, and I think it's a character study about a character that doesn't get studied, the type of character that doesn't get exactly, studied very exactly. often. And one that you'll see, you know what, one that you'll, you'll, recognize, you'll recognize and say, I know people like mm-hmm, that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so worthwhile looking for Diane. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Just a couple in the lobby this week. New and home video, Vice. Oscar nominations, star-studded cast, the story of Dick Cheney, former vice president, through the eyes of Adam McKay, and we thought it was great. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It was uh, weirdly constructed in a good way. The performances are just unerring. Yes. Uh, it's it's definitely it'll it'll infuriate you, <laughs> yeah. uh, but it's worth checking out yeah, for sure. For sure, if you missed it in the theaters, check it out now. And out on DVD, a movie called Rust Creek. This is a, a little horror movie, and it doesn't do everything right, but boy, it does a lot of things very right. It's going to feel maybe too familiar right away, but stick it out because it goes in some weird places. And it's another one, a little bit like The Wind, where. The director has accomplished so much with so little, so little funds that it, you you won't reckon, you won't realize that it's not one of those where you feel like, well, I'm going to give it a pass because obviously they have any money. At the end, when if you were to look it up, you'd go, damn, nicely yeah. done. All right, so lots to chew on this week. A lot of new stuff in the theaters. If you want to keep the conversation going and then and, and argue about why the original Pet Cemetery is better, we're ready for you. You can find us uh, online. Twitter is the easiest at uh, Mad Wolf. That's M A D D W O L F to keep the conversation going. Also on Instagram and Facebook, we're Mad Wolf Columbus, and the main website where you can find all of our written reviews and our other horror-centric podcast called Fright Club is all right there on the main website at madwolf.com. So we appreciate you coming into the screening room. And we hope that you will subscribe, rate, and review. All right, appreciate it. So next week we're looking for another reboot, Hell Boy. That's right. Also Little. Another Big. Another take on Big. <laughs> we're going Little. Family movie called Missing Link. And also Master Z, Ip Man Legacy. So we'll find out what's up with that. Until then, she is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf. And this is the Screening Room Podcast. See ya. I do wish we could chat longer, but I'm having an old friend for dinner. Bye.